Our communion meditation is from Isaiah 53, verse 5, and I'll read verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the sacrifice of your son on our behalf. And we pray, Lord, now that you would open uh, this word to our hearing, that your Holy Spirit would open our ears to hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our uh, text here in verse 5 is right in the middle of what I read. And the first sentence says, But he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And so anytime you read the first word here, but you have to go back to see what was being spoken of. And so last week in verse 4, we talked about how we did regard Christ as most likely suffering for what he had done, right? That's just natural. In our fallen human flesh, we just blame everybody for the bad things that happened to them without even thinking about it. We just regard them as guilty. And so that's what this but is causing us to look at very clearly because we're looking at a supposition that is wrong. And the but is pointing that out to us. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, with emphasis upon the hour, of course. And so we had talked about how Jesus did not deserve the punishment that he got, although we tend to believe that he did. Just and as a matter of fact, I remember witnessing to someone a long time ago, and uh, what really caused her difficulty in understanding Christianity and understanding Jesus was when he had cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? She didn't understand why, if Jesus was innocent, he would cry out those words. So it's interesting. It's just the way we naturally think. And so now we learn that it was more than grief and sorrow that Jesus bore. Because in verse 3, we talked about grief and sorrow. In verse 4, we talked about him bearing our grief and sorrow. And now it's more than our grief and sorrow. He's bearing our what? He's, he's being wounded for our transgressions, being bruised for our iniquities. So it's not just grief and sorrow, it's pain. Now this wounding in some places is translated as pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. And so in the original, it can mean a painful piercing or torment. And so when the scripture says, but he was wounded for our transgressions, it, it could mean he was actually pierced through for our transgressions. And we know that he was pierced in both his wrists and in his feet. And now note also it was for our transgressions, our iniquities. And then in the second two sentences of verse 5, we read this. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stri stripes we are healed. Now, Scripture is sometimes very beautiful and very puzzling. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Sometimes that's hard to understand. This is an odd phrase, I think. 
And yet when you look at other versions, for instance, one version just uh, substituted punishment for chastisement. And I think that's more easy on our ears. We don't chastise anymore, do we? We punish. Chastise is an old word. I don't know from how long ago, but I know we don't use it anymore. And so sometimes the words that are used in Scripture are from a previous generation, and we have to modernize it such that we can really relate to it and understand it. And so this phrase, chastisement for our peace was upon him, is almost verbatim what we have come to refer to in the Reformed faith, especially as penal substitutionary atonement. It's the same thought. Chastisement for our peace was upon him. And then the next phrase, by his stripes we are healed. And Peter quotes this for us and makes it very clear what he means. And Peter's talking of Christ. He says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. That's how he ends that thought. In other words, he's given us the definition of what by whose stripes you are healed means. So we know it right there. Now, uh, while I was on vacation, I get a chance, and often I do this, I get a chance to read a lot. And so this uh, vacation was no exception. I did read quite a bit. And uh, I was reading Mere Christianity, and I was reading a book by Philip. Now, you, you all know who wrote Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis. And so Rumors, who, which was written by Philip Yancey, and another book uh, written by a man named Donald Miller, Blue, Blue Like Jazz, and what I found interesting, though, is, is all these books all had some common themes. One of the common themes, and I would say the most common, the one that struck me the most anyway, is why can't God just forgive me? Why does he have this process that involves Jesus at all? Why doesn't he just let it go? And C.S. Lewis, I think, had a really good response. He said, well, okay, let's think about that. Let's say that you own a home and your neighbor destroys a fence on your property, runs into it. Something has happened. Now, you might forgive your neighbor, right? But there's still a matter of offense to be dealt with. So, see, that's what we do not take into account because we just think that the sin is sin. It's, uh, who cares? No harm, no foul. That's why now in our culture, people might tend to talk about these things that don't hurt anybody, like abortion, right? Abortion doesn't hurt anybody, you know? That's my business. And so by definition, they're state saying, I'm, my body is mine, your body is yours, you worry about your body, I'll worry about my body, you know? Pornography doesn't hurt anybody, does it? You know, just let me be. In my state or my city, I'm going to make it legal, and you can't touch me, you can't bother me. Prostitution, stuff like that. And so we just tend to sometimes allow people to talk like this, to think like this, as if they are their own, as if they don't belong to God, just like we do. We all belong to God. We all owe God our lives. And so we all owe God our allegiance. Now, there was a reference within uh, Philip Yancey's book uh, along this same topic, and I wanted to, to quote it. And actually, it came up earlier as, as uh, uh, Scott was talking, actually, too. Christianity has, at its core, a most unnatural concept called grace, which means that we can do nothing to counterbalance our sin. 
God has already paid the penalty and we need merely accept it by trusting him for the remedy. To accept it. And earlier, uh, Scott had talked about this, stressing repentance. It's like we have many ways uh, that we can react to the guilt that is within us. Imagine a circle with guilt at its core. That guilt tries to escape in many ways. It tries to deny the guilt. It tries to minimize the guilt. It tries anything other than the only open to it. Repent to God, and he will absolve you of that guilt. And here's another phrase that came right after this one. Something in us resists repentance at all costs. We would rather deny, lie, blame, rationalize anything but repent. Yet the first words of Jesus in the earliest gospel include the straightforward command, repent. Repentance emerges as his consistent theme, repeated to a variety of audiences that included rich and poor, powerful and weak, religious and irreligious alike. And it is interesting that we as Christians, in the same way as we want non-Christians to behave, we ourselves must repent daily. And so we urge the non-Christians to do the same thing that we ourselves should also be doing. And yet we face and fall into the same temptation that the irreligious do. We refuse to repent. We lie. We deny. We minimize. We do anything but repent. And yet, let me remind you of what our text is. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Note where we are in that text and where Christ is in that text. We can offer nothing in terms of earning grace. The path open to us out of that guilt is only repentance. It's that path that leads out of that circle, out of that cell to God. Only repentance leads there. So as we come to the table, we're reminded every week of that. Now, we often emphasize, though, the positives of the table, and I think we should here too. We're in that circle. We're in that guilt. Repentance leads us out of it to what? To God and to joy, to forgiveness and to new life. And so every day we Christians have to take that path out of our guilt, take that path back to God as opposed to remaining in our guilt and seeking some other way except through repentance. And there is no other way. God has hemmed us in to our guilt and sin and only allowed Christ to bear it. So as we come to the table, avail yourself of this gift of forgiveness through repentance. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that your word is so simple. And we repent, Father, of having attempted to make it so complicated, having to try to wrap it in so many big words and so many thick books that we confuse people. We pray instead, Father, that you would make it clear, just as Christ's initial message was so clear, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, we, Father, now, uh, religious and irreligious alike, we come to you, we repent. We ask you, Father, to cleanse us of our sins and to prepare us to enter into joy of a restored fellowship and relationship with you. And we look forward to the permanence of that that we will enjoy in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray and give you thanks. Amen.